Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. And today we have UV consultants, Carl Platzer and Fred Van Lyrup. Man, this was a good one. Everyone's coming out with the UV lighting, Greg. That's right. It's hot. Something we've been looking at doing. We wanted to get the right people, and I think we found them. I think we did. And you know what we really need to do is we need to get UV tied into that Bluetooth mesh kind of deal that McLong International has going on. Yeah. Right? Speak to those UV lights. Let them know when the space is occupied and when it's not. Now that Tell would those sense. UV lights intelligently using Mick Wong's um, Bluetooth mesh technology implanted in there so that the lighting system knows when there's no one there and it can disinfect as it needs to. So you got to go to McWong International. What's the website, Greg? McWongINC.com. I, I think it's McWongINC.com. Yeah, I, you know, we keep missing that one, but that's M-C-W-O-N-G-I-N-C.com. Com. That's mcwong.com. And they are leaders in intelligent, addressable lighting. Um, you know, they're really coming forward with some hot, hot technology. They're cooperating with other software makers out there. If you're a fixture manufacturer, you're someone that needs to get involved in this whole Bluetooth revolution that's coming. You got to know about McWong. So go to mcwonginc.com. And of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Go to naild.org, Greg. Join us. Get associated. Get smart. Right now, we're talking UV lighting on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, Carl Platzer and Fred Van Lierup. Did I get that right? Close enough. <laughs> Say hello to Greg Garrett, guys. All right. Hi, Fred. Hi, Carl. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Rick. How are you? Good, good. All right. Let's do this. All right. So maybe I'll start it off here. How did you guys get into UV lighting? Many years ago. Many years. That's uh, why <laughs> we are basically old farts in this business. And uh, <laughs> but that, uh, that's uh, collecting a lot of experience. And... Uh, I'm personally starting uh, to build the first uh, UV pinch machine for uh, UV lamps in 19, uh, I guess, 79 or 80 or something like that at a company in uh, Germany mm -hmm. uh, close by. They're still producing these kind of lamps and then continue during my career to GE, General Electric, um, uh, light sources, light tech. Um, there's a company called Narva or JW Holding, and that's about it. And uh, since three years, I'm doing the business by myself and consulting other people to be more smart than other people. There you go. How about you, Fred? Um, I've been making lamps for all kinds of applications for the last 30 years or so. Um, started out for Philips Lighting, a Dutch company with one L. Mm -hmm. um, been around with the company in the Netherlands, Belgium, the United States, China, a couple of years, back to Belgium. And then since the last 10 years, I've been working independently in UV. And my last eight years in Belgium with Philips were in UV already. I like the business. It's a very interesting uh, application. And I decided uh, to pursue this uh, by myself. Afterwards, uh, Carl and I joined forces uh, with a couple of other people in the field, and business has been moving since. And you guys, uh, so tell me again the name of your company that you guys are working with, or that you do. Uh, we call ourselves uh, UV Consulting, but uh, the company name I founded about three years ago was Consulting M&A Business Development LLC, as we do also um, merchant and acquisitions and mm -hmm. doing all kind of consulting from UVA, UVB, and UVC. Perfect. And who is your primary customer? <laughs> if you have ah. <laughs> Primary customer. You, oh. you don't have uh, to name them. You don't have to name yeah. them. Just describe yeah, them. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got um, a very interesting, uh, brightening inquiry from, from a lady, must be from Asia, I don't know. Uh, she sent me an email over the weekend and she said uh, she wants to sanitize some equipment in the kitchen. She has a newborn baby and if I can help her and she's searching online 
on UV equipment, she don't know what to do. That's, we do that for free. So <laughs> I, gave, I gave her some advice. All the other customers are so-called OEM or OLM. OEM means other equipment manufacturers. That, that means um, people, they manufacture UV systems, like for water purification, drinking water, wastewater, water use, or air purification, air surface disinfection. Fred, maybe you continue. Yeah, so basically we cover the entire spectrum um, from lamp manufacturers to lamp specifiers, sometimes uh, government organizations, uh, end users, and uh, OEM uh, that construct the application where the lamps are being used, like Carl mentioned uh, just now. Perfect. Uh, if you guys could, I know this is a pretty broad question, but if you could define how does UV lighting work? Give us a, a breakdown of that. I give that to our scientist, Fred. <laughs> Please. <laughs> well, uh, ultraviolet radiation is basically just energy. It is electromagnetic radiation, and it has a certain range of uh, wavelengths. And that range is cut up in UVA, UVB, UVC. UVA, UVB is typically used for sun tanning. Uh, where the skin turns brown, it can be used for um, skin treatment, like in mm -hmm. psoriasis applications, for instance. Um, UVC is much more powerful, much more energetic, and so much so that the energy can be used to break down DNA bonds or RNA bonds. So that is basically inactivating viruses, bacteria, and microorganisms. So it is the energy of the light that we are using in these applications. And uh, mind you, UVA, UVB, UVC cannot be seen by the human eye, but we can experience UVA, UVB when we have a sunburn. We can experience UVC when, for instance, our eyes are hurting because we've been looking into a welding torch. Mm. So it's all depending on the energy from the irradiation. Can you can you effectively treat um, or sanitize um, equipment and rooms using, I guess, UVC technology? Yes. Technically, that is possible. Um, we see a lot of installations, uh, a lot of applications, especially now, of course, with uh, Corona going around, COVID. Um, it is indeed a disinfection uh, technique. And of course, there are a lot of different ways to do that disinfection. And ultraviolet, UVC is, is one of them. Yes. Um, before Maybe we get... Uh, sorry, there's, there, I'm going to have a number. We're going to have a number of questions about the virus, but I, I, I have a couple other questions. I just want to confirm for UV lighting. Is it considered its own technology, or does it fall under a traditional category like fluorescent or HID or LED, or is it just entirely on its own? How can you classify that? Um, there are basically three different big uh, groups out there. One is the traditional low-pressure technology. It is in a way a bit comparable to the conventional fluorescent technology, only okay. there is no fluorescent powder inside the tube. So the tube is made of a soft glass or quartz, special material that is transmitting the UVC. Um, then there is a um, section of medium-pressure lamps, typically in quartz, where the operating temperature is higher, the power is much higher, the intensity is higher. And then we see more and more inroads of LEDs also in the UVC range. Further to that, there is all kinds of um, special, highly specialized uh, products out there. Uh, dielectric barrier discharge, pulse xenon, but it's depending on the application and what you want to accomplish with the lamp and the system. 
maybe mention, did you mention XMLMs? Yeah, dielectric barrier discharge XMLMs, indeed. Yeah. That's the, the more or less the same type of technology, correct? There's, there's so, something uh, come in my mind. Uh, you asked the question of sanitizing and disinfection. Maybe we should clarify what's sanitizing and what's disinfection. Yeah, what we typically accomplish with uh, UVC light is a certain level of disinfection. We cannot, at this moment, sterilize. Sterilization, uh, looking at it from the medical field, means eliminating all microorganisms, inactivating them, killing them. With UVC, we are typically talking about a certain level of reduction. So if we eliminate or inactivate 90% of the available microorganisms during a certain treatment process, then we talk about a one-lock reduction. If we inactivate 99.9, .9, we talk about a three-lock reduction. And this level of reduction is a combination of UV irradiance times the amount of time that is used to treat a surface or a fluid. So just to clarify, um, UVA and UVB are not, uh, cannot be used for sterilization or disinfection. Um, there, is a, yeah, there is a so-called uh, germicidal activation curve. Um, that is giving the response of a microorganism to light with a certain wavelength. And if you go into the UVB, UVA range, then this activation curve goes down almost to zero, meaning that you need an immense amount of energy to do something. And with UVB, there are some viruses or bacteria that can have some effect. With UVA, it's near impossible. There are, however, some uh, technologies and some tests in the field available where uh, blue light is being investigated at 405 nanometer. If we look at this germicidal activation curve, Basically, there is almost no activity. However, in certain conditions, it seems that there is still some disinfection. And this, of course, is a field of uh, further investigation. But UVC is the ticket. Correct. Yeah, that's the ticket. And UVA, UVB, you have also an application for medical use, for example, for um, skin diseases like psoriasis. Eczema. Or different kind of uh, skin diseases, uh, UVA, UVB is, is used there as well. So there's a lot of requests right now. Um, obviously, Greg, are you ready to go into the current scenario? Yeah, I wanted to just maybe going back quickly on the different yep. types of technologies. Why why choose one over the other? What is the best one? Or is there uh, is there a situation or application that you should use each one? Because you named four different Types. I'm trying to relate it to lighting. You know, on my end is like, I get I get the lighting side. I don't get the UV side. So, wh which one do you choose, and why do you choose each one? Well, you're from the lighting side. Yes. Um, let's assume that uh, you want to light the indoor sport arena of a school or or whatever sports yep. arena. You can use uh, metal halide 400 watt. You can use uh, fluorescent lamps in high bay luminaires, or nowadays you can use high bay LED luminaires. Yep. Which one is the best? That's a different yeah. question, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's depending on um, switching ability. It's depending on color rendering. There is all kind of technical considerations that will influence this question. Now mm -hmm. back to UV. If we look, for instance, at um, water disinfection with UVC lamps. We are talking about big installation in this case, uh, a city. And 
LEDs is not so interesting because LEDs are small and you would need a lot of LEDs. And we are working in the industry to get to that point, but we're not there yet. Okay. Then we basically have the choice at this moment between a low pressure lamp or a medium pressure lamp. Evaluating those two options, basically very easy. A medium pressure lamp has around 15% electrical UVC efficiency compared to a low pressure lamp, roughly double that, size, that amount. Okay. But those lamps have a different size. Mm -hmm. So if space is an issue, comes at a premium, then you may want to go medium pressure, even though the electrical cost will be higher. So you see there are all kinds of considerations. Mm -hmm. And a question like that is very specific in the solution that we are proposing when we are talking to various customers or end users. And do you think LED is going to take over all the other technologies eventually? Is it inevitable or is it always going to be a need for low pressure, medium pressure? This will take time. Uh, LED, UV LED is, uh, is a point source. Um, give an example on your coffee machine. You have water supply coming in and water coming out. And a cup of coffee or a cup of water of a water dispenser takes about five seconds, four seconds. Yeah. That's the time uh, some few LEDs take to purify the water. Uh, I think LED gets, they're getting more and more sophisticated and more larger. They can uh, work a larger volume of water in terms of uh, drinking water. The wastewater is a different cup of tea. Uh, it's a huge, a huge, uh, massive volume. And uh, I think uh, the next 15 years, maybe, or 20 years, uh, LEDs will play a big role, but I think LEDs at the moment don't take over conventional UVC applications. The UVC LEDs create new markets for specific niches they were not existing before. I give an example about uh, some few segments. Uh, Fred just talked about uh, drinking water disinfection. Uh, in New York City, uh, in Delaware, they have the uh, New York City drinking water UVC disinfection plant. Uh, we have about, I think it was published like 11,000 lamps in use there. That's a traditional business. I think it's the largest drinking water plant world, worldwide. But that's a typical use for drinking water, and in this case, New York City. Uh, a future business in UVC is, for example, ballast water. Uh, you know, uh, the big boats, the container boats, they, they come into the harbor, they have to offload ballast, like water, they pump water out, and they go into the harbor. But they pumped in water in, I don't know, somewhere in the Philippines or in Shanghai, and, and they get all the germs from there or from anywhere, and then they pump it out in a in a different variety, in a different harbor. And this type of water will be purified in the future. And uh, there are regulations worldwide, and I think it's taking off right now. Uh, and then the new, let's say, old new trend is air surface disinfection due to this coronavirus thing coming up. Uh, we're getting a lot of inquiries for that. But uh, that's not new. Ballast water is new, um, let, let's say, and uh, air and surface disinfection is not new, but it has a different meaning right now. The What is the instrument or the tool that you guys use to measure uh, the effectiveness of UVC sanitation? Is it lumens on a light meter? What, what, what type of equipment do you use to measure it, and what's the metric? Uh, Carl, uh, let me take a, a first uh, shot at this one. Um, there are meters out there that measure the irradiance, and they typically read in irradiance uh, 
milliwatt per square centimeter or watt per square meter. So that tells you something about how is the UVC distributed in the installation, in the application. For instance, you put an array of lamps in the middle of a room, and then you can position these type of meters on a table or against the wall to see what the irradiance is. And that is the amount of energy that is being dissipated per unit of surface. Um, then the, we need to translate that to uh, the effective disinfection level. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of microorganisms, uh, bacteria, yeast, molds, viruses, there are lists, uh, germs in general, there are lists available that tell you, okay, if you want to do a two-log reduction on this one, E. coli, for instance, then you need so many joules per square meter. Now, to go from watts per square meter to joules, you multiply the watts per square meter by the time of exposure, and then you get the joule. And the joule per square meter is the UVC dose that is required to inactivate, to disinfect. Does the sun do this naturally for us? Like, does the sun have a lot of UVC rays in it? Like, and what percentage more are you producing in an effective UVC, in you know, artificial UVC system? Um, you may remember many years ago the anxiety around the ozone layer, and especially the hole. Uh, in the ozone layer that was developing, hmm. that was growing uh, because of all kind of uh, ozone depleting gases that were being emitted into the atmosphere. And the reason for this, this, this concern at the time, and still, by the way, is that, yes, the sun is emitting UVA, UVB, and UVC, but fortunately for us, Almost all the UVC is being blocked by especially the ozone layer in the atmosphere. And that means that at normal altitude, uh, between sea level or minus five meters, like in my birth country, the Netherlands, up to a couple of hundred meters above sea level, you will typically find low to extreme low UVC doses. The consequence of all this, eh, since we do not suffer from UVC, also microorganisms did not develop a system to be able to handle UVC. And we are using that by irradiating microorganisms with UVC to break the DNA and RNA bonds. So in normal sunlight, we hardly measure any UVC. For example, for example, uh, you have a pond in your garden, and uh, if there would be UVC in the sun, uh, there would be a purification on the water in the water of the pond as well. But uh, usually, you generate algae and uh, all different kind of uh, issues in a pond, artificial pond in your garden. So the best way to get rid of it is putting chemicals in, which is not so good for the environment, or you do a UVC uh, circling water system there. So that's the, what, go ahead. Yeah, so, the, so when you're doing these systems and you're introducing UVC, so, you know, people are getting, people are calling lighting companies to get this uh, technology. And this is why we do a lighting podcast because, you know, Greg's been getting calls. I've been getting calls and our association and people want to know more about this. And all of us currently sell UVC, UVA, UVB replacement lamps to people. But we actually know very little about how the technology works. The machine uses this Osram TUV bulb. We look at the code. We ship the product to the customer. 
right? So if you are building, let's say, a, a field hospital or you're building some area where you want to disinfect things um, periodically, the humans should not be in the room when the disinfection is going on. That makes sense. Correct. So I'm, I'm at the question. No, absolutely <laughs> correct. The answer to that is people or uh, if even uh, cats or dogs out of the room. Um, if um, an application is being constructed, there should not be any UVC light leaking out of that unit. Mm. Now, I, I feel like I've seen some product or manufacturers that claim they have continuous disinfectant light that also produces the light you need to see. Is that something you're saying can't be done or shouldn't be done? Maybe 222 nanometer, maybe? I don't know, for mean. sure. That is depending on, indeed, uh, the wavelength range. Uh, Carl just mentioned 222 nanometer. That is typically generated by a very special uh, discharge lamp. And 222 nanometer is expected to not be damaging skin or eyes because the penetration depth is very, very, very small. Um, is this like uh, shooting an elephant with a 22 caliber rifle? Or is it like shooting an elephant with a pellet gun? Because there has to be some, if it kills the bacteria and the, and the germs and the microbes, it has to have some effect on larger animals. There has to be something happening. Um, the idea, and this is still under investigation, eh? a lot of uh, reports are available uh, in the public domain, and I'm sure that many other investigations are ongoing as we speak. But this 222 nanometer is specifically targeting microorganisms because they are so small, and 222 nanometer is already blocked by the dead skin skin cells on top of human skin or skin of animals. Mm. Um, this 222 nanometer is so short wave has such a short wavelength that it will is expected not to penetrate the eyes. So it is likely unlikely that the cornea will be damaged or uh, burned. However, there is a lot of investigation ongoing. There are still a lot of questions in this specific field. If we look at 254 nanometer, low pressure, or uh, medium pressure, which has a little wider effective wavelength range, any and all irradiation to human skins or eyes needs to be blocked or shielded. So you have to make these lights perfectly. Like they yes, have to be exactly two, 222 yes. nanometers. And you have exactly some additional filters in it. If you create a, a UVC lamp, like a 222 nanometer lamp, it could be that there are some other wavelengths coming out. Uh, for example, 235 or 265 or things like that. For that purpose, they do some specific filters. So they are all filtered out. So two, it's purely 222 nanometer. But that's, I would say this technology is pretty new. Uh, I think it's, it's a good technology. And uh, they were just published a study from Kobe University, Japan, I think. They made some tests on mice and some animals, and it was all good. And, but it's... That's not the big variety of the UVC business, let's say. It's a, a niche market, but it's coming. And if it works, it will be growing. Uh, that's it. I think that's the main message. Yes, correct. Is there a certification process that a manufacturer of a UVC lamp has to go through in order to qualify it? I hope. <laughs> there's, certification, uh, there's certifications going on in terms of the equipment, like electricity like uh, UL, uh, and then it comes to FDA and uh, 
uh, EPA, and then it comes to uh, BioSA testings. And the BioSA testings, that's something very specific. I give an example on the water side. Maybe, Fred, you talk about the air side. So the water side, uh, let's take that New York City. And uh, these people, they, they put uh, together the uh, similar water like uh, they use in Delaware for the New York City uh, water side, uh, for the drinking water side. Uh, and then they define some microorganisms, some germs, some bacteria, anything. And then they do a validation um, how these kind of stuff gets killed over a certain time. And there are laboratories worldwide in America, worldwide, and they testing this. And there's a third party witness uh, test certificate, and that's about it. And maybe Fred, you continue with the airport. Um, yeah, but I also like to add something about the water, um, because in Europe uh, there is a test facility in Germany and one in Austria that is doing the type of water disinfection testing that Carl just described. And they will issue a certificate. And that certificate is typically recognized by all the other countries in the EU and a lot of countries outside of the EU. And water is fortunately a very well-regulated uh, medium. So that application has a lot of well-established test procedures. And if we look at air or surface disinfection, the process is the same, but the regulations are still under construction. And so there are a lot of um, industry support groups that are coming together, and the International UV Association being one of them, um, ASHRIA is uh, active in air disinfection and air treatment, air handling. And these groups are investigating how UVC can be used and how the procedures need to be documented to have a method to really establish the effectiveness of an installation. If you have, we have situations now where um, there are calls to electrical contracting companies, lighting contractors, lighting distributors, and all that to for, to sell UVC or UV lighting systems. There's a lot of naivety and fear and panic out there right now. And would you advise against the deployment of UVC? lighting or what I don't even know what they're UVC disinfection and sanitization technologies in areas where humans are regular occupants and that don't have firm restrictions as to who's allowed in when and when the UV lights go on. Yeah, you will need to have clear processes. But on the other hand, it's also depending on the application. For instance, um, there are units, they almost look like a simple wall-mounted uplighting fixture with UVC lamp inside. There are special louvers so that no UVC is um, aiming below 2.2 meters, I believe, in a room. So it's used for upper air disinfection. And these Luminaires, these fixtures are typically operating even with people in the room, but they have been designed specifically to be used when people are in that room. And these units can be used to continuously disinfect air in high traffic areas. But bear in mind, these units have been designed by specialists who know what they are talking about with UVC. This is not some existing luminaire where you replace an existing visible light lamp with a UVC lamp, because then all kinds of things can go horribly wrong. So let's take a couple example applications that, you know, a lighting distributor would deal with. And, you know, what I think about is like a locker room at a fitness center or a 
locker room at a school or, or, or something along that line. Should those, or should we be considering that or should those customers be considering doing disinfecting lighting systems or something along that line with UVC? Lighting is lighting, is lighting and uh, UVC, yeah. air purification, service purification, is a different cup of tea. So I would not mix the lighting fixture with the, uh, the air treatment fixtures. I think you can do um, air treatment in a locker room, sure. Uh, we're doing it, doing it at, at night or when nobody's there, and you do it once a day. And you, you put a unit in, you can design a unit for that, you can buy a unit for that, and that's about it. But reestablish the, uh, the, the room to, so the lighting fixture somehow has also UVC and things like that. And I would not do that. Is it air, air or surface that we're trying to clean here, or both, you know, in an application like that? If they are upper air fixtures in such a way positioned and designed that the UVC is only reaching the top of the room close to the ceiling, then we only talk about air disinfection. If the system is irradiating the entire room, then typically the main objective is surface disinfection. And that's a completely different application. Maybe we should talk about uh, the point and get reminded on the part. Disinfection never meant means like 100% disinfection. It's always a certain, like uh, Fred explained, log one, two, three, etc. And I think we should talk about that. If you, if you disinfect in a locker room with a unit, then okay, you. You disinfect kind of surface and air and to a certain amount. But what is the amount? What what can we say? Never more than 90% probably. Okay. So are, do you think there is there a lot of misleading claims or people entering the market now, you know, kind of trying to take advantage of the situation saying, hey, our lights yes. are going to disinfect? Yes, yes, I would say so. You, you find claims like... Uh, Air purification with UVC, and then you look at the claim, what the machine is doing, and you never find the specific claim. Uh, you find it on the internet, and they say what UVC can do, but it does not mean what the what the unit can do. Right. <laughs> and the the end user, the, the public people, they just read it and say, "Ah, oh, that's a good thing. Yes, what UVC can do, that's correct." But if this unit is doing it, uh, I don't. A lot about it. <laughs> I think I think that's the difference between marketing and performance, right? So there, there's a deceptive element at mar in marketing sometimes that tries to correlate products to benefits that don't specifically exist with the product being sold, but maybe with the technology that's being used. And so we find that in lighting a lot. The lighting is very susceptible to snake oil kind of claims based on studies that were done on the type of technology used, but nothing with, with reference to the specific unit being sold. Um, that's common in lighting. Yeah, um, yeah correct. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, give another example. Uh, you probably, uh, you guys all have uh, HVAC air conditioning at your homes, right? Like mm -hmm. myself. Do you have a UVC lamp in your air conditioning? I don't know. I don't think so. You don't know? I did, <laughs> I did in my last house. No, I did in my last house. And um, ah, no, <laughs> I did because no, my, my, uh, I moved recently, but so I had a well, I had well water, which had a uh, UVC disinfection flow through system. Right. And, um, and then each of the air handlers also had a UVC lamp in it. Um, but everything needed to be maintained on a regular basis. And it had these alarms on it that after a certain amount of time, the alarms would go off. And like it could be the middle of the night, and all of a sudden some crazy alarm is going off in the attic. What the hell is that? You think it's the fire alarm? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, mean, I understand. <laughs> the first time it happened, I was like, what the hell is going on? I had to go up in the attic, and then I open up this box, and inside there's a UV ballast with a lamp. It's saying you have to change the lamp in 10 days or something like that. I can't remember. But... uh yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff needs to be built in. I mean, a lot of people are rushing right now to um, look at UVC technology in the 
the herd mentality of fear and panic with COVID-19 um, and germs. But, I, you know, and they're asking lighting companies. And I think they may be asking the wrong companies for advice. Um, I think there is indeed a risk associated with that. And I think that needs to be carefully considered. If I look back at my time in general lighting, you sell a fixture with a lamp technology and there's a certain maintenance associated to that product and the technology. Let's say um, 80% maintenance after 16,000 hour life. In a lot of installations, nobody cares right. if the output is 40% after 18,000 hours, as long as there is light coming out. Mm -hmm. In this case, we are looking at serious consequences because you can be looking at water that is not healthy to drink. And there's still a little bit of blue light coming out of your UVC lamp. So therefore, a lot of well-designed installations have all kinds of interlocks and alarms and safety measures built into the unit to make sure that this product will continue to deliver in the way that it was designed. And yes, an alarm is, is, is one of the consequences. Does it, similar to lighting, does it lose power over time? It sounds like it does. Like it starts here and it kind of gradually phases Absolutely down. Absolutely the same. Absolutely the same. Hmm. But what I wanted to say to your comment about the HVAC and going up the attic at the middle of, of, of the night, I, I would always recommend for the, let's say, the uh, any distributor handling uh, handling uh, UVC lamps, having a retrofit HVAC kit with a UVC lamp can be simple. And you probably, with the right instructions, you can do it by yourself at home. And um, exchanging the lamps, yes, uh, once a year, every one and a half years, fine. Uh, you have to find a, a mode, put it in the calendar, change it. It's not bad. I think it's Definitely better than having no UVC in the air conditioner. That's definitely true. I think that's the, that's the best application is where the lamp is enclosed into some kind of equipment and air or water is forced through that piece of equipment. That has to be the most effective, energy-efficient way to purify something. I mean, trying to purify an the air in an entire room seem that's, that where it's not being forced into a confined space seems like a a lot of UV lamps. Let's <laughs> uh, um, go ahead. It could be, but also you have to consider time here. Um, like Carl said, if you do something with a UV lamp in a space during night, example that immediately comes to mind are the metro, the subway uh, carts in Russia. Moscow, St. Petersburg, I believe, have those. Mm -hmm. They have UVC trolleys. They put them in at night. They lock the carts, switch on the lamps, and the unit is disinfected. The surface is disinfected. In those places where the UVC can irradiate the surface. And I put this disclaimer in there specifically because UVC light, like any other light, only goes straight in the area that we are concerned, of course, and can be reflected, but it doesn't go around the corner to irradiate the back of a chair, for instance. Shadowing always is a factor that will play into the effectiveness of the installation. So how do you guys recommend educating an end user that wants to, they're sold on, they want to use UVC, let's say lighting, because that's what we are, and they want to use it to clean a room. What do you tell them to look for? How do you tell them that they're choosing the right product? <clears throat> oh. There is plenty of products um, uh, on the internet. Yep. I would say there's um, a lot of companies made in America. Uh, not many serious Companies, I would say, in the air purification, I know maybe five or six maximum. Uh, there's many small ones. Uh, they they do some 
little disinfection, but uh, you find companies, I don't know, should we name companies or not? Or should no, we pr- probably not name, but is there like a cut sheet or some sort of uh, characteristics that we can look at and say, yeah, this one is legit. They have this classification. They have this item. I would say you go to the, uh, there's a web page, the Ashley uh, web page. Okay. You find all these companies. Wait a second. There's an association. Uh, yes. Let me go on that web page. And, that, and if you could find that, then that, that would, we could maybe link to it or something, Mike, on ours. But that would help people understand if it's a good quality product. I think there's a risk. I think there's a risk at this juncture right now, amidst the fear and panic from COVID-19, that people make some mistakes. And a lot of people, a lot of consumers um, are naive to the technical sophistication required to do something like this effectively. And um, I think it's worse now than ever. I think credentials, um, the, the, uh, oftentimes the the view of credentials and experience is at a low level simply because the, the, the society has become accustomed to an app, APP, app-based mentality, that things should be really simple and um, technology should control itself rather than needing human, um, what's the right word, human commissioning and maintenance. That they, they have this idea that technology is smarter than humans or it should know what to do automatically. It should be some artificial intelligence that knows when I'm in the room and turns the UV off and, you know, whatever. And I think there's a risk that, you know, that people don't, um, that they rush to do this and then we see some damages and then some damages to the UV lighting industry or something. Like, what it, it's happened with LED where people rushed in naively, bought fixtures that were not prepared based on claims that were entirely false and unproven, and then mistakes happened. And there was a cost to pay for that. I absolutely agree with that. And I'd like to add to that, that in the UVC field, the consequences can be more dire than in the regular. And you addressed a very good point, Michael, and also Carl mentioned that. That is the current rush. And everybody is maybe based on apps or the internet um, being rushed into trying to find quick solutions. But let's be honest, um, viruses such as this or problems such as this are not new. They have been around since people started traveling. And of course, this is the third big wave. First one being uh, around 1492 when uh, the Europeans started discovering Latin, Central, and North America. Then the second wave was in 1918, when the returning soldiers from the Great War transported an influenza virus around the world. And today we see the consequences of unrestricted traveling at the time that we were not aware that this virus was wrecking havoc. Unfortunately, we're still waiting for herd immunity, but I like to encourage people to investigate if they want to buy a solution to get a solution that is safe in the application that they are considering. Okay, I I found the internet. I can give you the internet. Uh, That's the uh, ashray.org, A-S-H-R. AE.org. And you can find the qualifications of good UV. You can contact them. That's a, that's yep. a, a, a air disinfection or air handling. Yes. Okay. So now you probably don't have a good, clear answer to this, but people have asked can UVC lighting kill COVID 19? <laughs> <laughs> the straight and simple to that is yes, it will disinfect. So again, um, with a lot of time, high doses, a lot of time, a lot of UVC radiation, you get a very high disinfection rate. But it's very simple. This is a virus. As such, it has RNA inside, and those bonds in the RNA will be damaged by UVC, and that will disinfect. There is no data available yet. But people are working 
to establish the dose to get to a certain disinfection level, just like they did with SARS a couple of years ago. I can Thank send you. you I, I I can Please send you a link on the COVID nineteen statement of the uh, industry uh, IUVA association. I just wanted to yeah. mention that that makes probably sense. Yeah. Yeah, we'll post uh, it to the website so that people listening to this can use that as resources. Is there any other um, credible resources you can provide that people can do further investigation? Send it over to Scott and we'll link it on the website for sure. I think it's an important time to share information. I just put the link in and you just go ahead. I send it out to you. All Perfect. right. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. Bye for now. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ooh, baby, McWong International, baby. And that's McWongInc.com. Man, we, Greg, we got to get that Bluetooth mesh thing hooked up to these UV lights so we can really disinfect this place and keep everybody safe and clean and sanitized. Let's do it. That would be a good thing to do. But let's also talk about a real-world application where lighting controls are being used and Bluetooth mesh at, at it. Uh, McWong, as you can see, I think on the screen right now, you've got a case study from Yamaha Motors in Wisconsin, close to me. But they supplied over 320 of their True Blue Mesh sensors and 40 control zones throughout the facility. Now, 40 control zones might sound like a lot, but that's what the customer wanted. They wanted the robustness. They wanted the control to be able to do that. And if these McWong controls and sensors can do that. On top of that, it was easy to commission. They had their contractor actually commission it at the end of every day. After they installed a section, they'd commission it and they'd move on. That means they didn't have to wait till the end of the project for somebody, a specialist to fly in and do the commissioning. They were able to do it right there. Save energy, about 25% of the lighting retrofit came from this True Blue system. And it's easy to control. It's meant for the future. Everything's covered with it. McWong's got it down. True Blue, baby. I love it. So go to McWongInc.com. That's McWongInc.com. Lead in the Bluetooth revolution. And Greg, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, where you know where it all started. Get associated. We are. Oh yeah. You, you got to get associated. And uh, Greg, Greg, thanks to Fred and Carl for coming on and and associating with us and getting us educated. That's right. And thanks for your internet for breaking up in the middle of that. But we know what you said. Everybody who's listening know what you said. We got it down. Hey, it's not my fault I'm locked down, hot down, <laughs> pop down. Holy mackerel. Hashtag something, folks. Thanks for listening. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. If you are lost, the Lord is there to find you.